I have no allegiance to the political parties. I have no ideology. I can agree with people all over the political spectrum because I think it's all a lie. Honestly, like I've just I've traveled a lot, obviously, and I can find common ground with just about any American on something. And yet we're told that we are the most polarized we've ever been. I'm like, okay. So I approach this podcast as I want to know what's being done with my money and in my name. And it really is that simple. Podcast Junkies, episode 275. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new to the show, welcome newcomers and welcome regular listeners to the show. Open arms for all of you. This is the show where we get podcast hosts to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind. And in case you missed last week's show, had a great conversation with an OG podcaster, Jason DiFilippo. He's the co-host of Grumpy Old Geeks, but he's got a resume, just a podcasting who's who. He's worked with the likes of Jordan Harbinger, Tim Ferriss, and uh, we shared a bunch of old stories about coming up in the age of Web 2.0 and the connections he's had with folks in that space, including the founders of WordPress. Really, really fascinating, fun uh, conversation. We, we laughed a lot and reminisced a lot, and you'll learn a lot, actually, about podcasting, about uh, tech and about uh, hosting and producing a shows and so many good things. Appreciate uh, Jason coming on. He's been on my radar for many years. We actually connected through Jordan Harbinger. We actually attended a Tim Ferriss live taping together <laughs> years ago in LA, but we didn't get to connect there. So can imagine and can probably detect from my reminiscing of that episode. It's one you should definitely check out, 274. This episode's brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. We welcome back for round two, Jen Briney, host of Congressional Dish. Jen is a longtime friend, super supporter of the show, and I quite honestly wanted the opportunity to just reconnect with her and, and catch up and see what's going on. Normally, I get a lot of this done during the podcast conferences, and that is obviously not happening, hasn't happened. I wasn't able to make it out to Podcast Movement in Nashville. Got a little bit of FOMO there, I will admit. But I'm going to be back in the saddle and looking out to be in Evolutions in LA, Podcast Movement's event there. PodFest has an event in May and Podcast Movement in Texas in August. So those are the three that are on my calendar. If you are going to be attending any of those, please uh, give a shout out and let me know. If you don't know, Jen is the host of Congressional Dish, a twice monthly show that aims to draw attention to where people truly have power and specifically people here in the U.S., and that's in Congress. And from the perspective of a fed-up taxpayer with no allegiance to any political party, she fills her listeners in on the must-know information about what our representatives do after the elections and how their actions can and will affect our day-to-day lives. And it's so interesting that uh, we talked about it in the first time she came to the show, and we touch on a little bit more and really see how the show's grown and how she's taken her passion for this topic and really just made a business out of it. We talk about the genesis of the show and, and, and why it's focused more on government than politics. And if you've ever wondered why we focus more on presidency than the Congress, the branch of government that writes, debates, and passes the bills that becomes laws that impact our daily lives, Jen has that answer for you in this episode. 
the political awakening that's happening in our society today and the power of being informed so many fun things and all throughout this conversation we're laughing a lot and reminiscing about what has been like the past strange two years in this country and in this world so high vibe conversation please uh any and all feedback i'd love to hear i'm in the process of catching up to some old podcast reviews that I must have missed. <laughs> so a lot of them came in last year and some came in in the beginning of this year. So little by little, I'm going to start going through this uh, back catalog and reading out some of these. I may have read some of these before, so apologies if that's happened. But two that I want to highlight are Andy Wang, who mentioned that he had the pleasure of being a guest on episode 174, an honor to be among such company. It was a good experience. Why do you ask? Harry is a great interviewer that strikes the balance between preparation and flexible, genuine curiosity. There's been a number of occasions when I've listened to Harry's interviews in order to research a guest coming onto my show. Harry does great work. And this from my friend Alex Sanfilippo, founder of Podmatch. If you're a podcaster and you enjoy podcasts, welcome home. Harry brings on great guests and fun conversations. You may even be introduced to one of your next guests for your own show. Thanks for this podcast, Harry. A+. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Alex. And we'll continue to get caught up on those. If you'd like yours read out, head on over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies, and I'll queue those up and uh, stay on top of them a little bit more so I can read them out. So I'm looking forward to that. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag, but let's not waste any more time and get into this conversation with my friend, Jen. Jen Briney, back for round two on podcast junkies. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> If people only knew how long it, it took us to just get the tech working. Yeah. It'd be like, uh, wait, you guys do this? <laughs> oh, that's scary. How often do you get to catch up with friends remotely? I guess that's the only option lately, but uh, how's it been for you? You know, it's funny, like in the beginning of the pandemic, it was I had so many, you know, Zoom dates and then we all just stopped. Because it got stupid, you know? It's like, oh, what are you guys up to? Oh, absolutely nothing. What are you up to? <laughs> absolutely nothing. Like, okay, well, good to see your face. Let's go back to watching TV. Yeah, again. we're going to meet later. And and it's like, where? Where else? On Zoom. Yeah. There's only so many Zoom dance parties, pizza parties, happy hours. <laughs> like, every single version, it all had to be on Zoom. And like you said, it wore thin after the first couple. We did poker games with my friends, a couple of my boys from like, new york we somehow figured out how to oh no connect on zoom and then we were playing with this other poker app so we were like doing both together so we did the same thing i think the poker games was the only thing that survived the whole pandemic so at least there was a purpose but yeah other than that and i was the only one that had you know podcasting equipment and so some people are the ones that are like screaming into their computer screens and then (laughs) you know the most savvy amongst them we could get them to plug in their headphones my own husband was a giant problem in that regard because he's one of the screamers and I would just be like, there's two of us in the same room. That's hilarious. Put on your goddamn headphones, please, please. Would you actually be in the same room or different rooms in the same house? Well, we were in this, we were in different rooms in the same house, but his desk was directly beneath me and it was like an open floor plan. So we might as well have been in the same room. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, that's what we have here, yeah. Yeah, and usually it's fine because we tend to stagger our meetings. So we're usually not, and that's for like work stuff. But when we're playing in the same poker game, I was like, dude, hold them with me here. Was it uh, hold them? I know, just normal. Okay. Normal poker. We would play some tournaments. Those always got weird. They got late. (laughs) (laughs) 
There's a you can do Poker Stars has a game that's made for virtual reality headsets, and obviously you'd have to be like a little bit baller just buy virtual reality headsets for all your friends. But if you could get, I was thinking about because I, th- I think they run like three hundred bucks. But essentially, it's like you're sitting at the poker table, and then like when you throw your chips in, it's like you can see my hand going in, and I'm dying to do that. I just want to test it out. It sounds fun. It sounds expensive, but it sounds fun. <laughs> so how you been? Good. We're full-time traveling now. Really? Which is, yeah. And it's... Oh, that's exciting. So fun, even though it's COVID times, you know, so I'm kind of like quarantining in different cities. <laughs> Although I'm vaccinated, it's fine. I've been... Since May, we're recording this at the end of July. So in the last three months, I've been on 12 airplanes. I think that's like a few different cities your back middle seats are full again they are full again the planes have just been packed which is wild and the airports are just a hellscape just people everywhere there's no social distancing they're all eating they do have to wear masks and most people are respecting it but for the most part it's so crowded and it's just a typical summer people traveling with kids not knowing what to do in the tsa line and (laughs) we're just waiting for all them to go back to school it'll be a lot easier it feels like the cat's out of the bag with um, like what to do, what not to do, especially now with the Delta variant. Now it's different. Like just, I don't know if the people who are supposed to be masked or the ones who have it or don't have it, and then the people who don't have it are supposed to like wear it. And if it's confusing for me, and I usually read the news like at least once a day, just a, a quick check in. I can't imagine for people who don't, they're just like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> well, and that's clearly what's happening. So last I checked, we're at just below half of America is vaccinated and i just noticed i was in california and washington on the days that like everything opened up or whatever and what every sign has said is if you're vaccinated you don't have to wear a mask if you're unvaccinated please wear a mask and no one's wearing a mask which means that all these unvaccinated people who are obviously the unvaccinated people think the whole thing is a hoax yeah of course they're just like no i'm not wearing a mask and it's so it's what they're trying to do is backtrack and get everyone to wear them so that the unvaccinated people will wear them but it's confusing even as you explain it i'm just it's so confusing and i'm vaccinated i'm like why should i have to continue to behave for these people like i'm tired of it so it's like oh you're unvaccinated and you want to get covid like okay like that's kind of up to you now yeah, I think it is a, a individual choice as well. So I actually have not been. So yeah, and it's like, okay, then if you want to hug me, that's on you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I know I'm chill. So yeah. Yeah. What drove the traveling? Is, are you not, so it's not RV style, it's just getting on planes and. <laughs> We thought about it. We went RV shopping and like the whole point was we wanted to get rid of our housing costs because my husband and I were both traveling a lot for work and just like in life. And so we were finding we were spending a lot of time separated. And yet we were living in California paying $3,500 a month for rent and are traveling on top of that. And we're like, you know what? This is stupid because if I were to go with him on his business trips, that's essentially free housing. And yet we're still paying... It was about $120 a day when it broke down to it just to like store our crap in California. And we just kind of looked around the house and we're like, I'm not all that attached to this hand-me-down Ikea stuff. So how about we just get rid of it? Disposable furniture. Yeah. So we've been living in hotels, which is amazing. There's actually ways to make it affordable if you don't move around too much. 
And then the second half of the year, we have some pretty great Airbnbs booked. And how long are you staying for? What are the durations? So we just did 30 days in a hotel in Seattle. So that was pretty cool. So this is not a travel show, but it's my show. So I can just dig in as much as I want to. Does it work out in terms of what you were paying in in like at home? So for pure rent, no, it's definitely more expensive. But then if you take my travel budget and add it to the rent budget, we're pretty much breaking even, but having so much more fun. So it's... Oh my God. And then you look at all the utilities and the the stuff I don't have to do. So when I pay my bills now, it used to be like a couple hour (laughs) situation. And now it's like pay the credit card. Everything goes on the credit card. And I'm racking up miles for all my housing costs. So that's another way I'm saving some money. But just like housekeeping. Oh, my God. You know, like I don't have to wash towels. I don't have to wash the toilet. I don't have to do any of that. I don't pay for air conditioning or lighting or water or cable. So it's funny because depending on the brand we're staying in, I'm like, okay, we're in a Marriott this week. So let's not start a Showtime show because we're going to a Hyatt and they don't have a Showtime. Like (laughs) we're just kind of like learning all the different. That's so funny. That's hilarious. So there is, so you, 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 did you own your previous home or you're just renting and you just like, you don't have a home base right now? Oh yeah. I was a renter because we were moving a lot around a lot too. I'm a change addict. (laughs) Yeah, so I get bored with neighborhoods pretty quick, and I always want to see new places. Yeah, we were just talking about that as well, because we're moving to this place, literally to another place, five blocks down, just because it's away from the main street where all the crap has been going on, and it's been pretty bananas here. It's completely different than when we moved in. There's like all the main stores on the intersection that's a block away from us, they're all shuttered. The last one shuttered, and so nice restaurant that we had two or three nice restaurants we went to not come back the apple store that's like shares an alley with our apartment behind us that got looted they never came back and so it's just just a a shell of like the neighborhood that it used to be just in the span of like two years it's been crazy oh wow and so we're just going in just to get like a backyard (laughs) a front stoop because we're in a building we're in a really nice loft so kind of like probably what you had before like uh our office is upstairs, mine's here, and but it's open space. There's no, the only door in this place is the front door and the bathroom door. Oh, gosh. So this little office I'm in has like a curtain and stuff, so. I think a lot of people learn during COVID that if you're going to stay in one place for a while, like get yourself your own yard. Just having some kind of outdoor space that you own is incredible. Well, that's exciting. How do you decide what cities to pick? Some of it's determined by work and some of it, it's so we just got back from Boulder. That was a Joe was working their thing. Okay. Right now we're in Eugene because we have to get our car down to Los Angeles. And so we were kind of going from Seattle down the coast. We're like, all right, let's spend the week in this place we've never been. We're definitely looking for places with a lot of outdoor space right now, not only for COVID reasons, but we're training for half marathons. So I'm looking for bike paths and just ways to run without, you know, playing Frogger (laughs) with the traffic. Yeah, it's all depending. So like I'll be spending a week in Nashville during podcast movement and then i do have this gap where i do need some headshots so there is a very <laughs> so talented photographer named yes. natalie jennings in this universe and she happens to be in minneapolis so I'm like oh hmm. what would the timing on that be well we're supposed to go to pittsburgh but they're trying to jack up my hotel rent so or my hotel rate for that trip so i was just like oh maybe i'll switch it so we can talk about that offline but um 
But it's just stuff like that where it's like, oh. I'd love to have you in town for a week just to hang out. That would be so much fun. That's one thing I miss. One of the things I didn't realize how much I missed is like my podcasting peeps because it was just, it was getting to be like two or three events a year at least. You know, if it's PodFest and Podcast Movement and I did Outlier. And so you start to just like have that connection. It's not something that I need constantly. But it was just enough during that time, and it would, you know, we'd end up being there, what, four or five days anyway. So at some point, you do feel like you want to come back home. But then not having that, that spigot just completely shut off has been really interesting and really jarring. Well, I feel disconnected from the industry. I feel like a lot has gone down in the last two years, and I'm not really like... You know, I'm a professional podcaster that doesn't really care about the tech to the point that I'm going to read newsletters because half the time I don't even understand what they're talking about. <laughs> so I learn what's going on in the industry and what I need to do kind of through osmosis, through the question or the conversations at the bar. And I always stop by the Libsyn booth and and I just kind of learn what everyone's talking about and everyone's doing. And there's always a few sessions like, you know, podcast movement. They always have what's his name? Tom Webster, the poll guy telling us what our listeners are doing. I find that one super valuable. There's always Rob Walsh of, of Libsyn telling us all the gossip in the end. No shortage of opinions from Rob Walsh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I love them, you know? <laughs> and it's like, he's like the industry gossip. And so I just, I love his sessions. And it's, I didn't realize how much I was depending on those until they were gone. So I'm excited to, I don't know, get back in the, the room and figure out what's going on in the industry that I'm basing my entire career on. <laughs> so let's probably catch up there since this is a show about podcasting so. yeah <laughs> I, man the last you were on super early i always meant to look up but i can look it up in the meantime but uh it's funny because i remember i think i saw you at an earlier podcast movement or i saw you speak and i was like oh that's a cool show that's a cool idea for a show i gotta ask her if she wants to come on oh thank you yeah i know <laughs> i was in your podcast junkies picture oh that's right in Texas. I think it was Fort Worth and that had to be five or six years ago. 2015. That's so crazy. That's six years ago. That's wild. Oh my God. I wish I could do a screenshot and show you the photo that I had. Well, and that's the other thing that's happening too is like a lot of us have known each other for a long time now. <laughs> like it feels like we're old friends because we are. It's pretty sweet. And so bring us up to date on the show. And I, you had a couple of pretty big media appearances too which is i was shouting out a couple of those i remember when i saw them so yeah thanks for doing that yeah it's um it was kind of fascinating so my show's congressional dish and it's not a political show it's about government so during the obama years the show was actively growing and then it was funny during the Trump years, I had a really tough time producing the show just because there was so much emotion and so much drama and Again, I don't do politics. I'm not interested in the horse race. I'm not interested in, you know, the fights between the Democrats and the Republicans. It's not what I do. I like to pay attention to bills and laws. And, you know, I kind of understand what's happening. But then when it comes to Trump, like you can think of bills on the finish line, and he's just going to veto it because he's Donald Trump, and you don't know what the hell's going on. So it was like, it was hard for me to plan what to read what to focus on to understand what was going on, because the usual... <laughs> the usual way of things operating just didn't operate that way for four years. And then it was hard for the show because I know I felt this way. And I think a lot of other people did too, where it was just like, I can't take it anymore. 
I'm not trying to learn anything more about what's going on in the world. I can't take it anymore. It makes no sense. I don't want to hear it. So I think a lot of people were tuning it out. So the show, it kept going. And I say that like my biggest victory during the Trump years is that I didn't quit. And it's not a joke. Like (laughs) I truly hated the job, especially like 2017, 2018. I lost my way a little bit with both the content of the show and just the show wasn't growing. And we had Stats Mageddon, which I'm sure some podcasters (laughs) are aware of what happened. But those of us with long shows, we thought we had huge audiences because Apple was sending out our shows in packets. And so instead of getting one download, it was being recorded as three. So I thought I had this huge audience. And then all of a sudden it was gone, you know, and I saw the real numbers. And so I didn't know if my growth, and this is actually legit, I don't even know if my growth from the Obama years was real. So I've kind of stopped paying attention to those stats and just paying attention to the money because it's the only thing that I know is real. And the engagement, yeah. Yeah, so got through the Trump years. And then it's been fascinating since then because since then the show is taking off. The numbers are growing both financially and in the stats, although who knows what a stat is, but they are going in the up direction. There's definitely more engagement in my show. I got to go on the Bad Faith podcast, which was really huge for my show because it's hosted by Bernie Sanders's former campaign press secretary, who is a very smart, articulate woman who just has her opinions and doesn't care. You know, she doesn't play the game. And I just I appreciate her a lot. You know, she she wants to make the world a better place. And so I was just like so blessed to meet her. And and Virgil Texas is the the co-host of that one. So how'd that come about? So it was one of my listeners, actually, Nicholas Zacharias. He on Patreon, I think, reached out to Brie and said, you know, check out this podcast, Congressional Dish. And she was actively talking to him and she did and she landed on my episode about belarus because it turns out we are in the process of trying to change that government (laughs) and no one knows about it but i found that buried in a five thousand page bill and so i did a whole episode on it and and she liked that so she had me on the show and it was nuts harry because i knew that brie and virgil were going to be there obviously they're the hosts But one of my favorite authors is David Dayan. He's the, I think he's the editor now of The American Prospect, but he's such a good writer. Like he explained the housing crisis to me and words I could understand. And he can just do really complicated topics. And I know he sources everything. And I just, I respect the hell out of him. So before I go on the air, I'm in my email reading David's article from that morning and we get onto the screen and I see the two faces I'm expecting. And then I see a fourth pop up and it's David Dayan. And I freaked out. I was just like, Oh my God, it's David Dayan. I said that out loud. <laughs> and he was like, um, hi. I was like, yeah, sorry. I just fangirled out over a journalist. Okay. And I had to like the first 10 minutes of that big interview for me, I'm trying to keep myself in check. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm playing with the big boys now, you know, like this is an author I really respect. And I did, you know, was able to hold my own in that conversation. And so that felt amazing. But it was totally out of left field. Like it's just no one told me he was going to be there. So that was, it was a highlight of my career for sure. Very cool. And then the other thing that's happened, which has been amazing, you know, even though I hate politics, I've become a regular on politics, politics, politics with Justin Robert Young and then Andrew Heaton of Political Orphanage pretty much comes on every time I do. The three of us, we just get along like we're not partisan people and we're all really nice and we don't take anything ourselves or politics all that seriously so 
it's that's been amazing too because there's been a huge crossover with all three of our audiences. We're actually doing a meetup together in at Podcast Movement, which will be great because we've never actually met in person. That's cool. Yeah. Which is nuts for Justin too because I left Oakland. That's where I was living during the beginning of COVID. And Justin was also living in Oakland for the entire six years that I lived there. And <laughs> like the minute we started podcasting together, we both had just left the city and we were living like for at one point we were living within half a mile of each other and we never knew. That's wild. So, so yeah, the, the Biden years have been better for my show. I think just because <laughs> people are able to breathe again and are able to have more space for finding out what's going on in the government and seeking it out. And cause it's, you know, the Trump years, it was so in your face, whether you liked him or not, it was every day, all the time. What people have said about Trump is that he didn't, the supposedly like rules of how government gets done. And he's like, yeah, screw it. I don't want to follow the rules. And there was nothing like people could do. Cause they were such in shock of like, Oh, what happens when we meet someone who's like, doesn't give a shit about the rules and just does what he wants. And because he was he was on campaign rallies on the White House alone. Yeah, just totally illegal. <laughs> and it was just like, but everyone was just caught flat-footed. Like, everyone was just like, and in a way, from a strategy standpoint, and just kind of disrupting the status quo, it, it's interesting to like watch and be like, whoa, this is much, love him or hate him. Like, it's, he was just able to just kind of mix things up in a way that really sort of put people on notice. That's like, if you choose to only follow the rules, there'll always be a rule breaker out there who's going to command a, a bit of attention because you know it's 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 just again like i'm not in the politics is he certainly did that didn't he <laughs> and so but throughout the whole thing the common thread was the shenanigans are still happening right and part of what you're you highlight and is you can describe it better than i do so for folks who are new to congressional this can explain that you know the concept behind the show well i mean i'm someone that I've just found that I'm a person that is not, I have no allegiance to the political parties. I have no ideology. I can agree with people all over the political spectrum because I think it's all a lie. Honestly, like I've just, I've traveled a lot, obviously, and I can find common ground with just about any American on something. And yet we're told that we are the most polarized we've ever been. And I'm like, okay. So I approach this podcast as I want to know what's being done with my money and in my name. And it really is that simple. And so I look at, I'm pretty much reading all the laws to see how they're changing their laws and how they'll affect us. And I watch a lot of hearings because I just find that they are an amazing source of information you know, some of them huge topics about, you know, like sanctions, you know, like what is a sanction? <laughs> what are we doing with these things? We hear that word a lot. You hear the word a lot. And yet I didn't really understand what they were. And so I just did a whole episode on like, what's a sanction? And what's funny about that one is it's economic war. So it's like what we try when we're trying to get another government to do something before the bombs. But the whole episode was about how people get around our sanctions. And so the whole point of them is you're trying to disconnect someone from our financial system so that they'll do whatever you want to have access to our financial system. But if you want to get around our sanctions, they're using 
our financial system because it's so unregulated that it's the easiest one to use. And so like, you know, you find out stuff like this and you hear it in testimony and they say it in like official ways. But once you figure out what they're saying, you're like, wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me the United States is the safe haven for <laughs> sanctions evaders? Like, wait, what? And it's like different rules depending if like we do something bad and it's like, no, that's, it's okay when we do it. And then when other countries do it, and like, we're like political prisoners or like, you know, never mind what we've done to folks like Assange and and uh, the guy who's in Russia now. Oh, Edward Snowden. Snowden, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just, and then we see other p- political prisoners. We're like, don't do that to your political prisoners. And yeah, so it's stuff like that. And then like th- there was a hearing I saw just randomly about a bed for babies that was on the market for 10 years, but was actually very dangerous and resulted in the deaths of almost 100 babies before it was finally taken off the market. And so when you look in the story behind that and the congressional investigation, just I didn't know that our government essentially has no way to force a recall for products like that. And so it's like, yeah, this was a story about a baby bed. But then when you watch a hearing like that and you figure out like what happened on the government side like these are problems we can fix if we know they're happening and there's just there's endless content i mean that's always been my most difficult thing is like determining which topic to pick because they're on the days they have hearings they'll have 20 of them and so there's absolutely no way that i can cover everything and so i really do just pick whatever is inspirational to me at the moment something i want to spend two weeks diving into and and that's what i do is it it's coming out bi-weekly yeah i can i found a nice work-life balance which was one of the reasons i was struggling so much in 2017 2018 like i'm taking breaks when i need them now and but i found that a twice a month schedule for my main episodes I can do that. And then I do also produce in between them thank you episodes because it's completely listener supported. The more I learn about, you know, the advertising model and how corrupting that is on, it's not even necessarily that these companies are corrupting the journalists, but you self-censor based on wanting the sponsor to stay. And that's just, I mean, obviously if I was sponsored by a company that does any kind of business with Fisher Price, I couldn't have done that episode, I would have lost my sponsor or at least had that be possible. And so what do you do? You just don't tell that story. And so, yeah, it's completely listener supported. And I was just talking to Jason DiFilippo earlier today. Jason is one of Tim Ferriss's early producers. He's also worked with Jordan on that Jordan Harbinger show. So he was around. He was telling about those early days um, of the, the tech scene and just how important that model is because he's got a, a show called Grumpy Old Geeks and they talk about tech stuff and it's also listener supported and they get donations in all the time. I was like, oh, perfect for me to have this conversation today because I'm going to speak to Jen. And I think you're like the master of like the crowd solicited donations because I remember you like listening to past episode, you'd be like, and Michael from Seattle just sent me a check for $4.29. And it'd go, I don't know how long, are, they, are you doing them as separate episodes now? Because they would go on for like 10 minutes or something. Like yeah, and it was scaring away new people. They weren't realizing that the meat of the show is the first hour. And it's a great problem to have that my thank yous were going on so long that the episode would be like three hours sometimes. And that was just, it was too much. So I split them out. And that way too, I mean, it's meant for producers, the people that help me with the show. And some people 
don't want to hear it, including some producers. They just don't want to hear that part of the episode. And you call them producers, which is cool. Yeah, I ripped that off straight up from Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak. I mean, they have been super helpful. They are actually the masters of this business model. And they, they've they been really helpful for me. And like, not just... I met them a few years ago when we were both nominated in the same category in the podcast awards. Oh, cool. And I didn't know that they were famous. So I think that's why I didn't <laughs> fangirl out because it was just like, oh, who are these guys? And then I disagreed with some of the stuff that they were saying on their show. So I just started talking to them on Twitter, never looked at their follower counts, never looked at who they were. It was just like, oh, who are these guys? Like, we're even, <laughs> right? Like, we're nominated in the same category. You were definitely weren't fangirling out. No, not at all. I was going right at Adam Curry and he was coming right back at me. And it was actually really fun. And so that's when I started listening to their show and I heard their model and they were giving me tips. And John C. Dvorak was living in Berkeley, which is like a hop, skip and a jump away from Oakland. And so we met for lunch a few times. And and they've just over the years, they've just been super helpful. And, um, you know, they've been big cheerleaders for me. And so, yeah, but they're the masters. A hundred percent. So, I mean, I've been going down the podcasting 2.0 rabbit hole. I listen to each one of those episodes. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of time to listen to, sh- to stuff now. and But I listen to Pod News and uh, the podcasting 2.0 show with Adam Curry and Dave Jones. Because they're doing that whole podcast index, which is the alternative directory to Apple. And you know the story that behind that, that Adam Curry was the one who gave the list of podcasts to Apple to seed the Apple podcast directory. Yeah, and I think he regrets that. <laughs> he does. He's mentioned that several <laughs> times. So my goal is to have Adam on this show, but I, I want to wait till I have like a not just a fanboy conversation, but I want to engage because I'm really interested. And I'm and as he's having a bit of a renaissance. I'm I'm like a child of the '80s, so for me, Adam Curry was the VJ from MTV. <laughs> but uh, what they're doing, I think, and I don't know how far down. I know you said in the past you've gotten crypto, but if you've been digging into or playing with some of that alternative stuff that they're talking about. I have Bitcoin and Ethereum. And have you had folks test out any of the new, if you go to newpodcastapps.com for for listeners, newpodcastapps.com, which is the new apps that support direct contribution to your favorite podcast host. So I have a listener. It's so funny you say this because I was just writing back to him today that has taken it upon himself to explain this to me as if I am a child, which is what I needed. And so I just read what the possibilities are today and i think it's really cool but have i like dove into it yet no have you said someone set your show up this is the fact that these words are coming out of my mouth is ridiculous have you had someone set you up on the value block (laughs) so someone has made sure that congressional dish is in that directory from there on forward i don't know i don't know what's up like this is actually a really new topic for me and it's one of those things where i feel like instead of trying to figure it out on my own like it will be the talk of podcast movements. I will figure it out when I'm there, I'm sure. But if you can corner Dave Jackson for a of bit. Of course. So he's, he interviewed Adam, and they talked a little bit about this. Dave, as Dave does, Dave dove head, <laughs> head first into this. And he was, there's a way to do it that you can get some help along the way with one piece of it and use another service and you can pay them a percentage of what you collect. Or you can just kind of like create your own feed type of thing. And he did that one and everything just started breaking. And then I remember Adam and, and Dave talking about it on the show. Like, yeah, Dave Jackson goes in and he's like, no, it's all breaking and stuff. So I actually called Dave like last week and I was like, can we do like a, a meetup, like a, like in the early, what they would probably do in the ham radio days and be like, just nerds tinkering. I want to have like 
figure this out with friends and we can pull you in or you guys can chat about it a little bit there. But I think there's a lot of interesting potential, but there's a lot of learning curve stuff because even if we as the hosts figure it out, it's still, we got to like get listeners to figure it out. But it's, it feels like super important. And, and I get the sense that this is something that kind of like, you know, like you wish you bought your, bought your Bitcoin like five years ago or 10 years ago. <laughs> kind of like that, like to be, you know, to have uh, that ability for like literally bypass all the middlemen and, and just get your contributions directly from the people that literally want to support you. And in the ideal world, there's like a boost button on these apps and, that I've played around with. And you can literally like you send the money as we're having it. So if you're listening on an app that supports that, you can hit that boost button. And then you get the immediate payment in Satoshi's, which is a micro, a percentage of Bitcoin. I forgot what the conversion is. So if you get like a thousand Satoshi's, it's like, a thousandth of a bitcoin or something like that so yeah when it all like the number the valuation fluctuates with bitcoin and all of that yeah i'm totally i'm into the idea but i think you kind of nailed it where it's like the first adopters are doing it now like first of all i believe in the technology because adam curry is doing it and obviously if it's a way for that he's going to fund his show i'm just waiting in the wings once it's figured <laughs> out i'm going to jump right in because everything he's told me to do has been correct when it comes to the funding model so i'm all in I just don't get it. Like, I don't belong in the room if Dave Jackson can't figure it out. Like, I'm not going to figure it out. I'm not going to figure it out. Like, this is not going to happen. So I kind of wait for my boys to do it. <laughs> and then they take care of me after. I can't wait till this episode is published so I can, like, grab this snippet and just tag Dave. If Dave Jackson can't figure it out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. It's just silly to say that Jen Briney, like, oh, Jen Briney's going to figure out the tech. Like, anyone who knows me is going to laugh that idea out of the room. Come on, Jen. Don't you have, like, all this spare time laying around where you can just kind of figure this stuff out? Oh, God. I'm amazed that I am a professional podcaster. It's like, it was one of those things where the podcast was the way for me to talk about the government. Like, oh, how do you read all these bills? It must be so hard. I'm like, no, no, no. I love that. What I don't like is the tech. Having to figure out where the, the microphone goes and, you know, what's in it. I remember I started a podcast and didn't quite understand what an MP3 was. Like, I knew it was important. It had something to do with, like, the listening part. Like, didn't understand it. So I forced myself to learn what I had to learn to do this but the all the changes in the tech and all that like i kind of need to be dragged along with the industry which is why it's so important for me to go to these events because that's where it's like okay drag me the timings oh, man i rarely have like fomo on events and i just kind of thought a lot of people were not going to go and i've actually got family go to visit i'm going to visit family that week in new york my brother's flying up from new orleans with his niece with his daughters and i haven't seen them in like two years so it's just like uh you know family's more important and it's it was everyone that i had talked to like months ago were like uh 50 50 and then now it's getting closer like more I've, i kind of sense more and more people are going so unless there's a last minute audible where i crash in someone's hotel room for one night and <laughs> that might be a way you know so many people i feel like you could even pull that off are you gonna do the there's well now they're two in the two events elevate ele, i always get it wrong elevations elevate in los angeles in march yeah, I'm probably not going to go to that. And then uh, evolutions, the evolutions, and then they're coming back to Fort Worth for next to 2022, which is where it started. Yeah, what was your first podcast movement? The first one that was Kickstarter. Yeah, 
Holy shit, that's crazy. So that's why I do the orientation since I've been doing this since the beginning. I just really love doing the orientation. It's first of all, just like selfishly, I love that my responsibilities are done before the conference officially starts. <laughs> that's true. Know? I've done the, uh, the, the, um, it's orientation or it's beginners, newbies. I've done it with, um, is it Jennifer Longworth from the DC Podfest? Yeah, there's something that goes on in between the orientations, but I've done the orientations since the beginning. Yeah, it's right after orientations. It's like a newbie session, and I've done it a couple of the times. The new attendees. New attendees, yeah, something. Yeah, because yeah. the orientation, we found that over the years, more and more people, veterans even to podcast movement, will come because you'll find out you know, what are they doing with the app this year? What's going on with all the parties? Like this year, there's going to be a COVID protocol section in it. Just, they actually have a really smart idea. They have these three pins. So it's going to be green, yellow, and red. And you wear that depending on like how cool you are with social interactions. So like if you're willing to like give hugs and it's all normal, then you wear your green. If you're, you know, like I'm here, but like, don't like hug me. That's yellow. (laughs) And then red's basically like, you know, I'm wearing 15 mats. Don't touch me. Like, don't. Like, <laughs> Which button you're going to be wearing? I haven't decided yet. Either yellow or green. Okay. Ah, man, it's, I'm a hugger, as you know. So I'd, I'd probably wear the green and just be like, I'm going to regret this. Because <laughs> you always get the conference flu anyway. But this time the conference flu is fucking serious. So It's a bit more serious. And even though I'm vaccinated, I know that I can catch it and disperse it. So with that behavior... I just know we're going to be in Tennessee. I know that is a state that is like glaring red on the (laughs) CDC website right now. There is not a single county that is not red last I checked. And so it's like, I don't want to be the super spreader. So even though I'm not afraid of it, I'm kind of leaning towards yellow just to be like, you know, I'm not going to be six feet away, but do I need to hug everybody? Like, maybe not. Just your peeps. But it's a good idea, you know, and so I feel like with the orientation, that's what I get to do. And then I do get to meet new people because the people where it is their first conference, they feel comfortable coming up to me and the other two people that are on the stage. And we just find the entire time that networking happens for us. So that's one of the things I love about it. Like if I was to do a session about, you know, my funding model or my show or whatever, People would be seeking me out because they already know me or they want the session. But with orientation, I'm the camp counselor. And so when I'm in it for the networking, there's no better session for me to host. Who else is on that stage with you? So this year, it's two guys that have already done it with me. So it's going to be so easy. I have Donald Kelly and Rich Jones. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. It's going to be so fun. (laughs) Oh, you're killing me now. I love those guys. Yeah, it's going to be great. And it's nice, too, because this will be a weird one where we have to add the COVID stuff. So the fact that these guys already know their roles, they're doing the stuff they did last time, like, we don't even have to worry about any of that. Like, I know that they've got it. So Do you have, have you gone down to Austin yet? No, I want to spend some time in Austin. Like, I want to spend a few months there. So that's probably a next year thing. Well, we might be there. Well, probably going to be there in September because I'm good friends with Ever Gonzalez. I actually just published this episode. He's the creator of the Outlier f- Festival. Outlier is interesting because he only he caps it at about 150 to 200 p- attendees. And it's a single room conference. And they usually get like a co-working space. So everyone's like mingling the, the whole time. And they, they do it over the course of like two or three days. And he travels. So he goes to different cities. And so obviously there's no traveling. But I think this year they're going to do... 
Austin, I think New York City's on the list, uh, Ohio. So I think we're going to be down there in September. I think it's 23rd, 24th in Austin. So I'll probably speak at that. And that'll be probably be the only one. But yeah, Austin's a fun town. We've been a couple of times but to check it out. Austin's so fun. I've been to Austin. And then you could connect with Adam Curry there because that's where he lives. Oh, for sure. And then my friend Justin Robert Young, the one that does politics, 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 where he moved to is Austin. And then, of course, there's always the mission to stalk Joe Rogan and have him finally have me on his show, which is probably never going to happen. But No, you can't. No, so I, this is kind of like a fun thing for the show. You broadcast your intention on Podcast Junkies and the universe picks up on it. And because it's happened like a couple, two or three times now with previous guests. And so you have to like put your intention out there so now you can say it now and it'll be out there and, and then it's going to happen. Well, the only reason I think that it's possible is back in 2013. I don't know if he was too stoned or what, but he invited me on the show. Like we were talking on Twitter and he invited me on. And then when I went to meet him, he had completely forgotten (laughs) and it didn't happen. But because of that, I was like, there was interest when my show was really bad. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe he liked the concept and then he heard it and he was like, oh, oh no, no, no. But the show still exists and it's good. So it's like, that's the one celebrity podcast where it's like, obviously out of my league, but I'm not writing it off as impossible. It's not. That's not. I don't think it is. And I, and I think what's, what was interesting is I feel like COVID is, was the great equalizer. I started a section show, totally random topic, vertical farming. I was like interested in. So I started interviewing CEOs and I actually got paid sponsors for all three seasons now. So it's, and they keep coming back and it's like multi-thousand dollar sponsorships. And I got the first one without even releasing an episode. <laughs> so it's, it was a, it's been a pretty wild experiment that's now turned into like a, a second <laughs> like revenue stream from on the podcasting side. But it was funny because a couple of those conversations was like I'm talking to a CEO of like a hundred million dollar company, and, and you can tell, and he's it's COVID, so he's in his child's bedroom, and I'm just like here, and, and we're all you know it's cliche, but we all put our pants on one leg at a time, and I think if we put our pants on in COVID, if, if you wear pants, yeah, <laughs> yep. And we're on, you know, we're on video. We could be like business up top, party down below, like most people attend <laughs> these calls. But, you know, Adam's been on Joe two or three times. So we're putting it out there. It's going to happen. I think what's fascinating is you have such a deep understanding of the inner workings of politics or the what happens. It's almost like what happens. It's sort of like when you go to Disneyland and they talk about what happens underneath where all the people are off with their mickey mouse heads <laughs> and it's like you see them like smoking <laughs> like oh that's not that's the real like that's what the new world is and, and i feel like washington is is like that like you see the facade and you see the sound bites and you see what they want you to hear like like with the congressional hearing on the riots like they literally had a, a conference the republicans like a few minutes after or after just to to say something stupid that wasn't true just because they wanted a soundbite on tv I think Matt Matt Getz was on there and people were like, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. That's stuff that I ignore. There's the show that they're putting on. So I think the January 6th commission is a really good example of that. Because what I found, I went through the congressional record. because I was like, I know that I've seen some hearings on this. There have been 11. Wow. And so I watched all of them. And especially the ones that took place really close to January 6th. They were super informative. I found out pretty much exactly what happened. I released my episode on it last week, and now it's like commission time. And the first hearing was just, you know, let's 
call up some cops, make them cry. You know, it was just, it's the show. And then, like you said, they put up a, a news conference. Like, that's politics to me. And that's gross. But the governing side, like, when I look at January 6th, I'm looking at the bills they're writing because of it, which are going to expand p- spying powers and give more powers to the FBI and give more money to the Capitol Police, even though it wasn't a financial issue. They just didn't train for a situation where protesters got into the building. Literally never trained for it. That's a problem. You don't need more money to just do training. So it's like I'm looking at the bills and laws that they're writing as a response. And that's the part that the media is not doing. But that's the part that I can actually affect our lives you know one of the things that it was funny because I was doing my sanctions episode and that's what led me to January 6th because as I'm watching this stuff about sanctions they were kept bringing up January 6th and being like yeah we have all these domestic terrorism or these domestic terrorists that are using crowdfunding to you know do whatever they're doing and communicate and then they start talking about like PayPal and podcasting and all these things I'm like wait 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 if they don't like what I'm saying Like they're now talking about going and having these financial institutions cut people off because they're getting orders from the government. Like that is dangerous. And so that's the type of stuff that like I think is important. And so like there's the show and there's the governing. And I'm very much on like the governing side of that's what I want to know. I want to know like is there any way that they're going to change the law in a way that can take my show down? And we're now at the point where I think they're starting to write those types of laws. But here's the thing. This is where it comes full circle back to what Adam and Dave are doing at, at Podcast Index. That, because it resides on the blockchain, it's decentralized. There's no, you can't take it down. And so if your feed's on there, you can get pulled from everywhere. But if you can read a feed like most podcast apps can, they'll have access to your show. And I think it's important that we keep spreading this message because, you know, whether it's you know, Brett Weinstein getting YouTube videos pulled from YouTube because of, you know, they're talking about alternative vaccine therapies or something like that. Like having a, a known place where you can know that you can have content out there. And there'll always be the people who'll be like, yeah, but that means like the white supremacists can have their podcast. And yeah, but, but at the end of the day, like, I think people need to know that that's out there and they can hear that stuff so they can make an informed decision. I don't think people listen to those shows and be like, oh, I'm going to be a white supremacist now because they heard this podcast. You can be like, oh, okay, this is what's out there. I'm educated. But just continuously trying to like hide it. And I mean, this can turn into like a whole freedom of speech episode. But I, I think just educating people who have content that sort of would fall into this, occasionally fall into this gray area it's important. So the fact that your show's on there now, I'm, I, there's, I feel comfortable telling you that there's, there's going to be one channel where they're not going to be able to take it down. Yeah. And I'm really happy about that. And I, and that's another reason why I'm glad that it's something that Adam is spearheading because his show, he is, I'm sure, nervous in the same way as I am, but he has the technological knowledge to do something about it instead of just doing it for no agenda. He's doing it for all of us. So I think that's amazing because if you do look at the infrastructure of podcasting right now i mean if they take down libsyn then you know if they force libsyn to take off my show that pretty much kills me like i don't even need apple and google and all of them take me down you know patreon i post directly to them but patreon can be you know forced to do things or it's not even a forced situation i mean what we're finding right now is that the censorship is happening because the companies don't want new laws written that take away their legal immunity for what we say. 
And so they are self-censored. Like they're not even being ordered directly by the government. All the Congress people are doing is like, hey, by the way, if you don't take down these people, then we might have to take away your immunity. So they're bending over backwards, even though there isn't a law forcing them to do it. Because the law could be challenged in court and then there could be obvious, you know, First Amendment issues. So there's this whole wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing going on. And I think we have to pay attention to it and not just, you know, as the host of Congressional Dish, I think podcasting, like I've heard them talk in hearings about how podcasting is this wild west situation right now that they need to get under control. I mean, (laughs) we've been flying under the radar for a long time. Have you actually heard that? Yeah. So we've been, that'll be in my next episode and they don't say it exactly like that, but when they said podcasting, I'm like, oh God, we're on their radar now. <laughs> <laughs> what number episode? I really want to make sure I, I don't miss that episode. The next one's going to be 237. So for that one, I'm reading all of these bills that they were talking about in the January 6th hearings. And then I have a lot of clips from those hearings where it's like, this is kind of the direction that they're discussing. Here's what they're doing in their bills. And just kind of give everyone an update on what this batch of people is thinking of doing. Because we have a lot of the same humans that wrote the Patriot Act still writing our laws. And I think we have to keep that in mind too. Like we haven't fired these people yet. That's scary. Yeah, they sort of like uh, go under the radar. They go to some back office. They sort of like float through administrations too. It's funny. Well, and it's because, you know, whenever we talk about our government, we only focus on the presidency. It's Trump or it's Biden. Even like the infrastructure bill, they keep calling it Biden's bill. And like, he's the president. He's not supposed to be writing anything. Like it's all Congress, but it's either Trump or Biden or Obama or Bush or whatever. We're not paying attention to Congress. And I think January 6th proves to us that we don't even understand how our own system works. There were people in that building that in their indictments said that they didn't know where they were. (laughs) Like they didn't know what Congress was. And they didn't know that they were rolling up on the wrong date to actually change the election results. Like, basically, what they stopped was Congress reading the results into the record. There really wasn't an avenue to overturn their election after December 14th, but they didn't understand their system enough. And I can't even really blame them because if you watch our media, it's only the president that we pay attention to. So even though we've had, you know, unlimited wars and the Patriot Act and all of these crazy things happen, we haven't fired the humans at the top. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has been the head of the Democrats since the early W. Bush years. And Mitch McConnell, I mean, that turtle is living forever. And it's scary, dude. It's a very scary thing. So it's like you want to think that we've learned something in the last 20 years. But when you trust the same people, That's the caliber of stupidity that we have writing our laws right now. And so I am concerned watching them be like, these Americans are domestic terrorists and we need to do something. And they're the greatest threat since the Civil War. It's like, okay, well, how are you going to overreact in legislation? That's my concern. And it could target me. What keeps you doing this? Well, the money helps. (laughs) Well, you're being compensated for, you're passionate about what you do and like the the cliche if you love what you're doing every day, it's not a job or I, I just butchered, butchered that one. But basically, yeah, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> I'm compelled to watch this stuff. Like the part of my job that I really do enjoy is the reading of the bills and watching the hearings. Like I like doing that stuff. I like knowing that stuff and sharing the information. That's the fun part for me. Why do you like doing that stuff? Because I want to be informed about what's really going on in the world. Like, I want to know because I feel like there's a lot of power in that. Like, and it's helped me financially. It has helped me make 
decisions about what I want to do with my life. Like for instance, one of the episodes that I did was in response to a friend of mine getting a surprise medical bill. He had gone to the emergency room with chest pains. He had checked and it was an in-network emergency room. But the doctor that he saw was out of network. And then when they sent him across the parking lot, so across the parking lot to go to a cardiologist, he didn't know that that person was out of network too. And so for this false alarm, just in case emergency room visit, he got bills that totaled, I think it was like $20,000, something like that. And so obviously this person was freaking out and reached out to me and they're like, what do you know? And I'm like, let me find out. So I watched some hearings and helped them navigate that situation. And they ended up saving thousands and thousands of dollars. And I shared that information with my audience and people were paying me being like, listen, I just saved three grand on this bill because of the strategies that you taught me, which I learned through congressional hearings. And those are real world ways of understanding the system, helping us navigate it. So, and then, you know, for like housing, you know, to understand where the next bubble is, like, do you want to buy right now? Or is renting the scam? Like, what's more scammy at the moment? So it's, I just find that I'm never going to stop learning this stuff. And so that keeps me going. I definitely love it. But the job part of it is social media. I hate it. I'm struggling to the point that I'm now in therapy (laughs) because of having so many people I don't know, expressing anger or disappointment or just like expressing anything about what I do. I guess like when I started the podcast, I wasn't really speaking to anyone. So I didn't really prepare myself for having even like the tiny, 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 tiny bit of celebrity that I have. Like it's not something I'm comfortable with. I don't like being the center of attention. So I'm holding myself back in that regard. But as for the part that people think is the chore and why the niche works for me, I do, I love it. Like when I'm walking around town, I'm not listening to podcasts, I'm listening to hearings. And I've listened to far more hearings than people are aware of. Like I listen to some just for fun and then some I'm just listening to and I'm like, oh wait, there's an episode here. Like this is nuts. I never even expected this to be a thing. I like how you just make the tweetable quotes for this episode so easy. (laughs) (laughs) When I walk around, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm listening to hearings. That's true. I mean, you've been doing this now for... Nine years. Nine years. When was your first episode? September something, 2012. Is there any hope <laughs> in the nine years? Like, is it just business as usual? I mean, what is it something that you could see as, as a trend or... Hope, like, for our government or for my show? Government, I guess. Government. I am seeing an awareness... And this goes back 20 years, not just the last 10. But there are things that I can say now on my show that are so common knowledge that would have been just total left field in the W. Bush years. Like, for instance, being like, you know, corporations are controlling our politicians. That's something that before Occupy Wall Street would have been a pretty controversial statement that would have required a lot of explanation. Now it just feels like, okay, well, that's obvious. And so we're getting to the point now, and it's a boiling frog situation. Like if you were to just look at our situation now, it looks insane. But there's an awareness now in our population that we are being systematically lied to by these two parties. And 
one of the things that gives me hope about something like January 6th is that the people that participated that and then thought the election is stolen, they're watching their own party having lied to them. And I feel like there's just awakenings that happen at different moments. Like mine was really the Iraq war. I think 9-11 was for some people. Trump's election was a big one for some people where you just kind of look around because we were told that Hillary had it in the bag. So a lot of people went like, what? <laughs> like, wait, what do you mean? Like, um, how did these people not know this stuff? And it's like, oh, because they're lying. So I think there is an awakening happening in the American public. And based on my conversations with people, and obviously, like, it's, it's only been a couple months that I've been out of COVID, but I'll have little conversations out there here and there, grocery store, in the lobby at breakfast, or like the little happy hours that are starting to come back. And everybody's actually pretty chill. Everybody's feeling the same thing, like a little bit like, what do we do about this? And while we don't have the solutions, I'm looking at my own audience getting larger. I'm looking at people that have been mad at me but are paying for the show because they're seeing value in it now that they weren't seeing before. And I don't know what that switch was, but it's like they're seeing that it's more important now for some reason. I'm just seeing more and more Americans paying attention. And I think that is where I get my hope from. Is that unsatisfying of an answer? No, that's not what happens. And, and I think everyone thinks it's going to be like this, like with the UFOs, some sort of disclosure event. Like, okay, we all know, like everyone's lying. It's going to be like one day to the other. Like, And it doesn't happen that way. It's a slow process of awakening for people, depending on where you live, what family you were born into, you know, your personality type, you know, how well you deal with news that you don't like. Because... If you're empathic and you see the state of the world today, it's a lot of shitty stuff happening. You know, not even not just the government, but just the climate and everything else around the earth. It's just, and that's just looking in this country. You start looking at other countries, just like, whoa, like Haiti just assassinated their president. <laughs> I was like, but I'm like, how much percentage of time and effort and energy can you even put to like looking at that other than just getting the recap? And it's, I find myself sometimes looking at it, and then it, it's a really intense event and i'm sure for the people experience it it's like life-changing and i have to like read it and be like okay that sucks okay now i gotta go on to like you have to find a way to like function it's overwhelming to yeah, be informed and they make it so hard which is why i do hope that you know when we talk about the future of the government i do see you know, every district is going to have to take responsibility for who they send to Washington. Because when you look at the whole, like one of the reasons this is my focus is when you look at all these different things, like you said, climate change and police brutality, and there's all these different issues, and they're all important. It's like, oh my God, what do we do about this? There is one body that we all kind of control here in the United States, and that is Congress. They're the ones that are making these rules. And that's why I'm focusing so intently on Congress. And I'm hoping that like, in my own small way, I can draw more eyes that way because there's an enormous amount of potential in the way our government is set up. Like if we actually elected good people that worked for, I think that it's more of a class split is what we're seeing right now. Is we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing the vast majority of people in Congress representing bosses, the corporations. There's very few that are really representing the workers. But the thing is, the few that are there are fierce about it. You know, we have a Katie Porter, we have an AOC. And while you might not agree with every single one of their policies, like it's undeniable that they are looking out for 
regular people and they're not bought off. And so their ranks need to grow. And yeah, so I think the awareness will get us there. And then when I look at, you know, my own goal for this is I feel like if I can personally be successful as someone who is paying attention full time, made a career out of it in a way that isn't beholden to corporations, isn't dependent on advertisers, if I can prove that this is a successful way, there are going to be college students that are graduating with a journalism degree that might look and go like, okay, well, I can go and work for, I don't know, Fox News or MSNBC, or hey, look at this chick, like she did it this way. She's making a living that I think I would like. I would like to inspire copycats to tear open these bills and to watch these hearings. And because by myself, I'm not going to make that much of a dent. But if there were 50 of me, if there was one for every state and maybe, you know, five or 10 for the U.S. Congress, I mean, that could change the world. And yeah, so that's where I have hope. Has, has that started to happen? Have has anyone, have you had folks reach out to you asking you like, hey, how do you do this? Or how can I get started? Or I have. There were a couple different people that have tried in their states, but I think that it's really hard work and every single one that tried had a day job and splitting time with something like this. I mean, it's really an all in situation. I mean, I was trying to do this weekly for years and it broke me and and sometimes I can't even pull off two a month. So it's like if I had a job on top of this for a paycheck, like it's hard. And so I think I don't know. I think at the amount of money that I'm making right now, after nine years, it's not exactly inspirational. It's not something that someone's going to be willing to not get paid like I did for, I mean, I didn't really make a living until a couple of years ago. So I'm going to say it took five years to really get paid anything at all on top of my expenses. So I think until I can be like, yeah, at the end of this, you can make a million like right now like people aspire to be Rachel Maddow because yeah she sucks and so does Sean Hannity but they measure their paychecks in the millions so that's an avenue I think more people are willing to like yeah I'll be an intern for this like yeah I'll sacrifice for this I don't think that I'm proving yet that this is lucrative enough and that there's a future and I can't promise people that there is and so that's hard I've lost them all. This feels very, no, it feels frustrating when you say something like that, like, because you don't want people to give up hope. There's a, a new company called WeFunder and it's crowdsourced uh, funding for your startup. And it's been a, it's a promising model because it's, they're sort of taking the, the decision about who gets money, who doesn't out of the hands of like these old rich white dudes are like, yeah, we're, we'll give you half a million dollars for your project or your business. And I think there's something in there and, and I'm, doing some research, but I think for folks like you, I don't know if it's a grant, I don't know if it's something that, you know, that could f- follow your model, but that gets immediately funded or seeded so that they're not starting from zero and it gets some momentum. Cause like, as you probably know, you like, you need that flywheel in motion, like for several years. And then now you start to be on other shows and you start to get more exposure. Are you thinking about other platforms outside of podcasting? I always, I think a children's book for some reason, I don't know why that popped in my head, but like, Jen Briney explains the congressional bills. I mean, I just got a livable work-life balance. And so I'm trying not to overextend myself. But at the same time, I do think that if I tried to grow my show, 
because I really haven't tried in years. I feel like maybe if I added a video component to it, where even if I'm just recording myself while, you know, bumbling my way through my episodes, if I could find someone that would take snippets of that. And I do have someone who's going to volunteer and do an Instagram account for me. So it's, I think I just need to do a better job of marketing my show because right now I haven't marketed it at all in any way in nine years. So that could be a beneficial step. Your listeners are, I mean, it just speaks to the power of a dedicated and devoted listenership because they've, they've kept you afloat. They've spread the word that you just showed the example of how they got you on that other show. Like they're like your team there and they're, and they're an extension of you because they've especially the ones that have been there since the beginning I just they so much want to see you succeed and they, as that posse grows I think more bigger and better things will happen yeah and that was key for me was trusting my audience and they have come through in unimaginably amazing ways I'm able to do this full time I'm financially stable now and have been for a couple of years and and like you said, they are marketing the show, like they are everything. So, you know, building that relationship with them is the thing I think I'm most proud of is that I do have this team of it's probably a few thousand now of people that have either donated time or money. You know, there's people that apologize all the time for not donating, but I see them tweeting the show out to their people. And I'm like, that that matters. That That makes a difference. So, you know, thanks. It's like everybody is chipping in in their own way and yeah, maybe it'll be inspirational at some point. I mean, that you know, when you say that there are these crowdfunding things that can seed people that want to do something like I'm doing, I at the very least can be something that they point to as proof of concept. So maybe that's one way that I'm helping even with my not amazing funding level. And like, here's the thing, I'm very proud of the amount of money that I'm making now. If it was to stay like this, like I'm comfortable, I'm good. It's not really about that. But it's like when you're comparing what I'm doing to the Rush Limbaugh's, it's like, which path do you want to take? And it's like, there's clearly one that is lucrative and one that's a lot, you have to be a lot scrappier and it's a lot harder. So that's why I'm saying that. Like, I'm proud of it and I'm very grateful for my audience. But when you compare it to, you know, what's happening on the television, I mean, Wolf Blitzer, he has half a brain cell left and all he has to do is get two people to fight with each other for two hours a day and like, oh, look at that. I've bought myself a yacht. So it's like, <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> the punditry is lucrative, but maybe someone can at least point to what I'm doing and be like, this is the concept. Here's the tweak on what she's doing. I'm just I'm hoping to inspire copycats. Well, you know, my marketing brain kicks into motion. So we'll probably have a chat afterwards. about <laughs> It's because it just never stops. It's just... Have, oh, you probably should wrap this up, but um, have you had a senator on or anyone from, from Congress on the show? Or No, so there's a congressman that retired. He's a independent named Justin Amash, and I reached out to him. He said he'd come on the show, and then we both just kind of went and did our own things. So I definitely need to reach out to him again and make that happen because he's a fascinating one. I've had some staffers on the show, but really like... My show, I feel like if the members of Congress want to talk to me, like you have the opportunity all day long on the House and Senate floor and in the hearings, like I don't really need to hear your spin on stuff. I have the opportunity for that. Like show me in your work. And so they're on the senators and representatives are on the show all the time. I mean, I, I listened to 30 hours of testimony about January 6th and I put plenty of their voices on there and it's just like, 
if you're not talking to me through the hearings, you don't deserve a spot on this show. So, or if you do something really ridiculous, then you're going to end up on the show and like, that's maybe not great either. I'm waiting for a really astute, like probably younger sender to literally like give you a shout out in the bill because they, they know that you'll read it and be like, just mention Jen Briney, like you mentioned, because they imagine you were reading a bill one day and there was like, like your name was mentioned or, or the show was mentioned. That would be pretty wild. I would be terrified. <laughs> Shows like Congressional Dish or something like that. So, and you'd be like, oh, that's when you know you've made it. Yeah, like we're coming after <laughs> podcasting because of this check. But that's where my paranoia does go, where it's like, I feel like because I'm respectful and because I, you know, back up my sources, if they can find a way to take me down, like, I feel like I'm the person that I do feel targeted by some of this, because even though I know I'm doing nothing wrong, there are some people that have been pulled off of platforms, even though they're doing nothing wrong, they just pissed off the wrong people. And if you look at the list of names and corporations that I have pissed off, if they knew I existed, oh boy. So um, I have some fear of that. And so I think that if I saw that I was on their radar, like I'm really comfortable being the chick throwing spitballs in the back of the room, but <laughs> I don't want to be in the front of the room. I don't want like the eye of Sauron on me. <laughs> well, keep doing what you're doing. I think it's incredibly inspiring and just admirable. I'm honored to be your friend and just to know that someone's out there fighting the good fight and that you're spreading the word. Inspiring like a younger generation of people. I think... I can see if you haven't already like speaking at journalism schools about what you do. And I think it's so important for people that are in those academies to like think that there's, it isn't, you shouldn't strive to be a Rachel Matt or a Rush or Tucker Carlson. Like you can do other things. And I think demonstrating that there's a path to some sort of financial freedom there, especially with some of these tools, like some of the stuff that Adam's talking about. I think there's a way just people need to be shown that it's possible. That's what you're doing, which is awesome. That's the dream. And I'm honored to be your friend too, Harry. Thanks for all the support. I mean, not just today, but over the years. And you've been a, a key cheerleader for me too. It like kept me going <laughs> when I'm just like, I hate my job. Like, <laughs> I can always count on Harry to be like, chin up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's figure this out. Let's have a marketing meeting here. Let's figure something out. I think there's like a wave of us that came right in with that first podcast movement. And, you know, some folks dropped off the map and then there's just others that, I mean, I thought it was late to podcasting in 2014. I was like, it's, I, we were not by all, by any stretch of the imagination. And it's, it's an interesting roller coaster to be on right now just from the, the visibility and it's getting and it's the celebrity takeover <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> what were they saying about uh make the harry the prince harry whatever is harry prince harry the one who signed the spotify deal like they got like 50 million dollars and they released like one episode <laughs> so, <laughs> and then they exclude but it's funny because i think people think what's popular is going to make money and even though obama's like or Michelle, they had a, like an exclusive only Spotify and that lasted for like three months. And it's like, now their podcast is everywhere. So I think people don't understand how people can consume podcasts or listen to them. So anyway, there's no shortage of topics you can talk about. Congressionaldish.com, best place for folks to connect with you. All channels of patronage are open. Patreon, checks, Bitcoin, Ethereum, cash. And you do get something <laughs> extra for Patreon because... In order to keep the podcast, I mean, podcasters know about this, but to keep it in India and China where we do have expat voters, places like that, I can't have any profanity. Okay. So my show is technically clean, even though I love cuss words. And so I put a golf swing sound effect over them. Some people love it. 
Some people absolutely hate it. And so the haters can go ahead and pay anything they think is fair on Patreon. And then you can get the feed with no golf swings. Oh my God, that's so funny. Very cool. <laughs> it for years, the most controversial thing about my show. Because you were cutting out the curse or because you were using the golf swing? Yeah, people were like, that's censorship too. And I was like, no, I'm saying the word I want to say, but I'm just putting a swing over it. And it puts you into a, expands you to a whole nother country. I mean, India, I think, doesn't take curse. Doesn't India and China, there's a and lot China. of humans there. And there, there's, <laughs> there are, and a lot of them are either expats or people that are working over there. Like we have voters there. And so I wanted to stay in those directories. And then also, this is a show that I've heard a lot of teachers reach out to me and parents being like, you know, you say these words, but the fact that you put the swing over it, I listen in the car with my kids because it's educational. But the way you deliver it, they're laughing like it's just more digestible. And then the teachers thank me for it because if I had the regular words in there, they couldn't play the for their students. And now because they know that if I'm going to drop something, you know, if I'm going to drop an F, there's at least going to be a sensor and they're not going to get in trouble for playing it. So there's there's a lot of reasons for it. But the haters now have a way so they can shut up and pay on Patreon and get their golf swing free feed. I like how the haters <laughs> have to pay more. Yes, they do. <laughs> you got to pay to be a hater. Oh, man. But it's interesting because, you know, we think as podcasters, like, yeah, this is platform. We want to say what I want because I curse whenever I feel like it. But then it's just it's short sighted because if you feel like that this message needs to get out to a wider audience. I mean, I'm, I've got my own like what's happening in like India and China. It's like that is not an insignificant amount of people and listenership and audience. And I think as a podcaster, it would behoove you to like figure out how to play in those spaces wisely and you've just demonstrated a the perfect way to do that so totally and it's all about your goals i mean like i don't care i actually have two podcasts <laughs> this is we're dropping this right at the end of the show but i do also host uh talking fat with jonathan oaks he's lost almost 100 pounds since we started it i haven't seen jonathan well there's less of him now <laughs> i'm so proud of him but on that show I don't give a damn if people listen in India and China. So it's like we say whatever we want because it's not like, oh, I'm trying to help the voters. Like, no, if no, it's fine. Like, How often do you guys record? Every week. And we've been doing it now for two years. Pretty, like we're religious about it. We really, I don't think we've missed a week. It's just a shoot in the shit talk show or is it, does it talk? I mean, initially it was about obviously losing weight, but what else so it's our it's my version of a weight watchers meeting because i stopped going years ago but i still need that reset every week so it's jonathan and i hard half hour like we're done after the half discussing how our week went what our goals are for the next week and then just whatever we need to talk about but it's focused on the food and our habits and why we do the things we do and what's cool about it is like jonathan is he started at 439 pounds and so he's obviously in like, I'm in danger kind of weight loss journey. And I've been maintenance now for 12 years. I've been on Weight Watchers for 14. So we're in different places. And I just feel like that's been a really interesting dynamic too, that we're on the same journey, but in different spots. And so it's like, I've had things to teach him, but now he's teaching me things and making me think differently. And it's it's a really beautiful, wonderful thing that, that we're doing. And it's it's bringing me a ton of joy. And I couldn't be prouder of Jonathan. And it's just a different thing. He's such he's like the epitome of like a human teddy bear. He's so awesome. He gives he's the one of the few dudes that gives me a hug and lifts me off my feet. <laughs> yeah, six foot five. I mean, he's a big boy. Yeah, he gives the best hugs. He thinks that this time, 
that I'll be able to fit my arms all the way around him. So that's kind of like our test. Like, will I? And yeah, we think so. I may need you to be my uh, eyes and ears on the ground and just shoot me random uh, photos of of the crew. Sure. I'll actually like participate on Instagram. (laughs) Because you you and Ryan Gray have asked me to make sure you guys stay in the loop. And, And of course, the masses want to see our shenanigans as well. Well, my friend, thank you so much again for coming on. We should definitely make this a repeat occurrence just to keep catching up. Yeah, Yeah, I love talking to you. Thanks for having me back. All right. So thanks to Jen for coming on the show. Always appreciated when guests find time in their busy schedules, especially folks as busy as Jen, to come on and chat podcasting. I don't take that for granted. And that's why you hear me say that at the end of each of these conversations. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Cedarsoil.com for his full list of amazing music. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the Scarlett 2i2 Pro. Full lineup at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat15. Tune in next week for my conversation with Joe Casabona, host of How I Built It. If you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for the retention hashtag, DishJen, D-I-S-H-J-N. Make sure you tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Jen at Jen Briney, that's J-E-N-B-R-I-N-E-Y. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next week.